So, Tone, it's time to talk about our big show in April. Uh, first, I want to give a big thanks to Schedulicity and to Cosmoprof Beauty for, for uh, sponsoring the show. Um, yeah, and Maryland, April 7th and 8th. That's right. So uh, we're actually doing a show and classes, and we have the amazing Presley Poe and her friends. So tell us about her friends. Oh, we have Blush in Maine, Sarah Jane Maples. Who, who just, just won an aha. She sure did. We got Updo Guru, Casey Powell, for uh, those amazing bobby pin sculptures. It's amazing, right? Yeah. And from uh, Project Runway, we have Jackie and Lynn coming in, and they're going to um, show some uh, editorial work on the stage. And, and, and Lynn does the, fans. And Lynn does the quickest updos in the world, so he's going to teach some of that as well. But then tell them what's happening right before the show. Uh, right before the show and right after the show, we have Johnny Cash, Livingston, Doing some tattoo barbering, brother. Yeah, and he's open for questions and stuff, too. So, you know, if you have any questions while you watch him work. Yes, sir. Up close and personal. Also, uh, another big thanks to, uh, to Cosmoprof for sponsoring the uh, Shadow Presley Poe. And we're going to have the winner there. Yep. Miss Stephanie.p.hair. Yeah, so uh, you'll get a chance to meet her as well. And a big shout out to our boy, Ben Mullen. Ben Mullen. Yeah, is going to MC the whole event. Can't wait to hear him. So, again, all information will be available at PresleyPoeAndFriends.com. Check it out. Check out the classes, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, I'm sitting with my best bud, Tony. What's up, Tony? What's happening, brother? So we got a good guest today, man. Yeah, we're actually sitting in uh, one of his salons. I can't wait. I, I don't even want to give away anything, so I don't even want to get away with the, the salons or anything like that. I kind of want to just kind of get in. But um, but uh, our guest today is uh, Kelly Gorish, and we actually met Kelly, although people were like, you got to talk to Kelly. Is it um, Gorish or Gorsh? Gorsuch, like Gorsuch. the uh, Supreme Court Justice. Oh, Gorsuch. Yeah, I'll mess that up. <laughs> but <laughs> it's we, not important. <laughs> so we, uh, we first met Kelly, actually we were in L.A. when we did the uh, Modern Salon, Salon Digital Summit. Um, and we just, we sat down and we just, I think we had a cup of coffee or something and just, I thought we hit it off really well and, I, and we just kept, we, well, now we're doing it. Dude, stuff that he's doing, uh, you know what I mean? It's just so intriguing how just entrepreneurial he, I mean, not only his mind, but just, I mean, he's just totally hands on. I mean, he literally hands on. Completely. Like he builds out all of his own salons and he designs them and does them. Built, and yeah, hand, yeah. He builds his own furniture in his shops. That's incredible. With his own hands, right? How does he have time for anything? How yeah. the hell do he have time to talk to us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like Kelly Cardenas. We, we we made him our make sure he we made him our friend. That's right. right. He's <laughs> our friend. He's our friend with a length of our Yeah, whether he wanted to be, <laughs> wanted to be or not. <laughs> That's cool. So, Mr. Kelly Gorsuch, there you go. Boom. Well done. <laughs> Way to go, Corey. Welcome to your day off. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, man. Uh, again, yeah, man. I mean, we, uh, we we've been wanting to talk to you even before kind of LA, but it was really nice to kind of sit down with you in LA and just kind of get to know you. And you know, yeah, he's been on our radar for a while. We just never had the opportunity, nor you know, it, it's just it was it was, it was nice how it, the whole thing came about, the transition of meeting and and how the you know just the relationship has uh, developed. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, Cal, kind of tell our audience, like, uh, where are you uh, in, in the industry or, you know, how many, you're a salon owner and how many salons you own and all that kind of stuff. But before, let's, let's, let's learn about Kelly. <laughs> where are you from? I'm boring. I, you know, I'm from this area. I'm from D.C. and uh, northern Virginia. Uh-huh. Um, I'm from, like, a rural town called Warrington, Virginia. Uh, I moved here, you know, fairly early in life as a teenager. I went to hair school at 17. Oh, wow. Um, turning 41 this week, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but I'm just, Happy you know, birthday. I'm from a family of hairdressers, and, you know, my whole life has been, like, I've, I've been devoted to this industry, like, inside and out. Um, you know, like... So you like, sweeping the floors at 12 and stuff? I, you know, I didn't. I didn't really spend a lot of time in my parents' salon or anything like that. Like, um, I grew up with my grandfather and not my parents, and... Uh, you know, grew up poor and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I saw the industry and the industry wasn't like exciting for me, um, to be honest. And I just kind of looked at it like it was, it was a way out of poverty. And, and that's what kind of drove me to it. Cause I knew we could get it. I could get into it fairly fast. I graduated high school my junior year. I knew I could get into it fairly fast and, um, and start making like a little bit of ROI, like, like immediately that would like take me and put me in control of my own life. And I think that's, one of the most important things that hairdressing um, can do for people is like kind of give them control of their own lives. That you know what? That's so well said, right? Graduated high school in your junior year. I went uh, summer school. Had to take so I had to take government all summer uh, with with a uh, bunch of thugs. I had to take summer school <laughs> after my senior year to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated when I was nineteen. <laughs> all I did was summer school. <laughs> Well, he did say thugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun. That's all, so you started hair school at 17? I started hair school at 17. I was, you did know, you need to get waivers or anything? Like, did no, your parents no, have to sign off no, or anything? No, I was, no. Um, I graduated high school. That was the only requirement. So um, went straight into it. Um, you, know, it, was, it was, you know, it was a ball. It was fun. It was like the industry was crazy and it was exciting. But at the same time, like I was... 100% focused. I'm not one of these people that had like this this innate talent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to work for everything, you know. Like I couldn't comb hair. I never used a comb in my own hair <laughs> and you know, it's just like I remember like that was like the stress, most stressful part of the industry was like just learning how to use a comb and section hair. Section hair like drove me to tears like several times. <laughs> you know, I was this athlete football player like macho dude and like i went into this industry i had nothing about i knew nothing about and um other than watching my family do it and um and just it was 100 it's way out for me and then 23 years later or 20 i don't even know what it is now um <laughs> 24 years almost and you know like the industry's a whole a whole different beast and you know, I own two salon, two fifty chair hair salons. Um, one in Richmond, Virginia, one in Washington D.C. I have uh, four barber shops called Barber of Hell's Bottom. Wow. Um, you know, I'm just doing it. Like we're working on a product. We've been working on a product line for sixteen years. Like that is no. If you want to do that right, that's a hard game. Um, it is takes, it on the market now? Takes a lot of money. Still the work yeah, we part? have stuff. We're just we we have stuff that we've used in the salon for years. That like mm-hmm. you know were products that we wanted to make and and play with and uh, and now we're like really putting some some capital into that and kind of going now that we're like in a, a better position. That's incredible. So, two salons for 
So you told us a story in L.A. that I'm that I wanted to get into. Like, how did you how, how did you become a barbershop owner? Oh man, barbershop owners. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Everyone now like comes up to me if they know me at all. They'll come up to me and be like, "Man, the barbershop thing." And I'm always like, "I have two badass salons, right?" <laughs> like, Immortal Beloved is like a huge brand in itself. So the whole idea, with, the whole thing for me was, you know, I get into things where I feel like there's a void in the market. You know, I got into hairdressing because I felt like there was a void in the upscale hairdressing market in Washington, D.C. Um, I never wanted to be a salon owner. Like, I made really good money behind the chair, and I didn't feel like that was a route I wanted to take because of the stress level. Looking back, I wish I would have stuck to that, you know, but because um, ownership is stressful, you know, mm-hmm. day in and day out. And there's good money behind the chair, you know, to be honest with you. And, like, it took me about 14 years for me to start paying myself more than I made behind the chair. Wow. You know, so. Are you still working behind the chair today? I, I don't really. I mean, I do a couple clients here and there, but I wouldn't say that I work behind the chair anymore. I, I don't think it's right to the guys. Like, I feel like it's, it's as an owner, like, you got to be an owner. And um, I, f- I felt a couple years ago that the chair took away too much of my efforts for the guys. Right. So then you're, you're focusing on, on yourself instead of the rest of your crew. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think that was fair. I mean, that's not what they're paying me for. Right. So how did they, so how the barbershops come up? So the barbershops, uh, we had a salon. Like the first Immortal Beloved, I'd separated from a from a partner from my first salon. Um, I started Immortal Beloved, and we just got. I mean, in three years, we just packed the place out. We had like eighteen chairs. We just packed this place out, and I had I had two or three guys at the time that um, only did men's hair. And, you know, we have always allowed people to focus. Like, if they only wanted to do women's hair, they did women's hair. If they only wanted to do, like, Fidel Sassoon cuts and, like, on women's hair, like, I let them drill down as far and be as focused as possible um, on that. So we had a couple guys that came to me and were like, I no longer want to do women. I just want to do men. And and I was like, cool, let's let's see what happens, you know. And they did that. And then I was just like, now I had a salon of, I think I had three full-time men's only hairdressers and i was bursting at the seams in this location <laughs> i was like shit i gotta get these guys out of here so i can make, <laughs> so I can make some money <laughs> and so i just decided that i was going to open up a barber shop and um <clears throat> and uh, backing up a little bit um Peru's had kind of stepped away from the grooming lounge right and you know the grooming lounge i don't care what anybody says the grooming lounge started this game Right. They like started that like barber stylist game. Like before that, it was just corner barbershops or salons. And they were the first ones to kind of like see that niche in the market and start to like elevate the game a little bit. Certainly upscale it. Right. And and bring the two together, like bring a touch of the upscale. But they weren't necessarily running like an upscale salon like I was running. So I felt like I could I could like compete really well against them. And um, when Peru's left, it really kind of opened the door because it became easier, right? And um, and people started leaving there. And so we were like, okay, this is the time. Like, time is now to strike. We did it, and I fully expected to break even. Like, I was like, let me get these guys out of here. I'll break even on the barber shop, and, like, I'll crush with the salon by adding more, like, female-only hairstylists. And, um, and, like, when I say that, I mean, like, the clients not the not not the stylist um (laughs) (laughs) that gets confusing and um but like we opened this barber shop man and i was blown away like it like it was a different it was a different animal entirely and and it was it was the right time for it like it was the right time for for the for guys to get an elevated experience 
and we charge a lot of money, you know. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you ever want to see people go nuts on Instagram, take a picture in like one of my barber shops and like accidentally get the price list in the background. <laughs> like right. barbers go nuts, but they don't realize that like just like in food, you know, you have levels of food, you have levels of barber shops, and and like I'm we're not the bottom, we're not the middle. Like we are definitely that elevated premier level, and um and like we need all of the levels like it's not like there's people out there that want each one individually and i think it's important that like we understand that there's a difference did you f- freak out when you realized the uh how that the hell's bottom just took off like you got rid of those guys so you can make room to bring in more women in your salon and realize when you opened up the barbershop there was just as uh as profitable i mean yeah yeah um you know it was well first remember that like we were building a barbershop inside of our salon so it was years in the making so when we opened we hit like now that year was like an interesting year because i got delayed i was waiting for the building to get built and all across so i had already had like a design in my mind that i was going to do for the space and um and like that year, like every barber shop across the country opened was like vintage styling. Like everybody was like throwback, and right. and like I was like, dude, I'm in a unique position here to like go the, the a different way. So we started off with like a lighting budget. Like our lighting's like really um, you know high 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 end, like elevated there, and um, you know basically our lighting budget was what most people used to budget for the whole build out of a barbershop you know and um and so we were able to have some fun like we you know i'm lucky enough to have like one of one of the um one of the best hair uh woodworkers in the world is like like my best friend um caleb woodard out of nashville and and um you know he helped me like build out the space and like we talk design constantly like and i live like i live that design lifestyle and making yeah i just like to make things pretty right and so we built it and we we knew what we were do- we were like we had already trained everybody to do straight razor shaves like we knew we were going to elevate it to it and it just blew up and i wasn't expecting it nobody was expecting it um and right now i could have like 10 of these things in washington dc but like you start to like dilute and you start to understand that like there just isn't that much quality out there who's willing to like put the guest first in our industry. And I think that's like something really important. You guys know that I, I value like my anonymity. Like I don't want a bunch of followers. I'm not trying to push my name out there. Like I, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't want the credit. I can't remember which president (laughs) said that, you know, like when I go to a hair show, people don't know me and I can just sit in the cut and I hear things that like they would never tell, they would never talk about around me, you know, and people come up to me if they know me, they like every hair salon owner I know right now is trying to get into barbering and it's a difficult game like you really have to understand that inside and out and um and I, I don't think a lot of people really get what's going on at the top level they're just opening barber shops and there's really not a lot of money in barbering you know well, well let's i want to back up a little bit so kind of can you kind of walk us through what like a barbering guest experience was you know you were talking about an elevated guest experience like like from you know from hell's bottom well, like what does that look like well let's just talk about what it isn't right like um most of the time in, in the barbering community, we're talking about a barbershop, corner barbershop. You walk in, there's Playboys in there. Like, as soon as you walk in, the magazines are old. Like, 
you got some fold-up chair to sit on, right? Spaces aren't really well designed. They're like a lot of times very masculine, right? And you start to like go, okay, it's a quick service. I got to wait, you know, like it's not comfortable. Um, and then I get up and I'm like, a lot of times I got to just like basically go with whoever's available, mm-hmm. right? So our, our thing is like you go in, you have an appointment, you have a block of time. We take more time than you would, like we're book out 45 minutes to an hour, right? You know, we're charging you a lot of money, but you're basically buying your time back, right? Because we're not wasting your time. You're not sitting there when it's unnecessary. You come mm-hmm. in, you're buying your time back, right? You walk in, we've got good updated like magazines to chill if you're gonna sit there for a couple of seconds like you know it's comfortable couches and like cool areas to sit in good spaces um that that what a perspective i i've never even thought about looking at it like that you know you're coming in and you're buying your time back instead of sitting there waiting a half hour for the next guy available you know especially on a popular you know corner uh barbershop that it could be a line Right, and you're waiting there 30, 40 minutes. Here, you're buying your time back. I love that. I love that. Right. Yeah, your time back. I mean, and then just the whole experience for it, right? Like the barbershop is like a center of the community, and, and it needs to be a safe space. And and you know, like for us, we've really there's really a conversation that's bigger than uh, than we have time for here. But like that needs to be a safe space for everyone. Like whether like they're gender fluid or they're women. Like if a woman comes in there and they want a fade, we're doing it. Right. You know, and um, it's it's not like this uncomfortable environment where, like, the dudes are all hooting and hollering about, like, the ladies. And, like, it's more of an elevated experience. You go in, it's just like in an elevated hair salon, right? You're getting shampoos. You're getting conditioners. You're getting, like, with the, with the hot shaves, you're getting hot towels. You're getting cold towels. You're getting moisturizers. You're getting a process. Like, everything's an elevated process. And it's, like, it starts from the time you come in to the time you leave but you have to live that lifestyle it's got to be authentic for the barbers they can't it can't be them first every time he says shave i get a little nervous i start to shake a little bit (laughs) (laughs) right since he just shaved his beard off i just i just shaved my beard off for the first time in years (laughs) sucker is there do you have a like a, a a different uh pricing tier or is it yeah, pricing is a big um, thing. You know, I'm, I'm glad you spoke on that because, you know, it's something that, like, I, I don't really readily give, so I'll give it to you and your listeners. But um, price the pricing model is, I think, where our industry went wrong, you know. and uh, Ooh, Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's get it. Let's, 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 let's get drill it. down on this. <laughs> Junior graduated, entrepreneurial. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I think most people price from a perspective of ego. Uh, you know, like we just guess. We're like, oh, you know what? I'm 50. You know, and, and I don't think that's right. Like, well, if he's 50, I'm better than him. Yeah, so I'm 55. And it, well, you know, and like salons open up all the time, and they're like, well, we see immortal charging like up to 300. We'll, ch- you know, we can charge like 150, 200, but like, no, you can't. You haven't earned that. You don't have the, you don't have the base that you're charging. That the, you don't have that demand that's going to be asking for those prices. So, what people don't understand is pricing is there to suppress like your demand, right? So. In a given day, that scale should slide. You know, we, we're, we're unique, right? Like every day we could change our prices if we wanted to based on the market, right? Because we do it a, di- a different thing every day, right? So um, the best way to tell this is in a story. Someone once came to me and they were like, uh, like rant and raving about like this dude up the street. I just got out of this meeting. This dude up the street's booked for six months. Guy's booked for six months. 
I was like, here I am, like my life's falling apart. I'm like opening another salon. Like I just like, I just separated from my last partner. Everything, my hair's on fire. I'm like ready to open and I can't figure out a product line. So I'm like listening to this product rep rant and rave. And I'm like, dude, come on back to me. Come back to me. And she like about the fifth time she brought this guy up. Like in the, I was like, all right, stop. Let's talk about this. And she was like, what? And I was like, okay, how long has this guy built, booked out? She's like, six months, like six, eight months. You can't get in with him. And I was like, okay, that guy's the dumbest person I've ever heard of. Like, let's move on. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, you know, I don't mean this in a rude way because being busy is a choice. you got to make it, you know, but like really, what does it say to the guest, right? And I was just like, so nobody can get in. So it's an ego thing, right? So great, you're booked out six months in advance. How much does he charge? 50 bucks. All right, well, 50 bucks, let's, let's, let's be generous. He can do 12 in a day, right? Let's, let's just say that he's going to make $600 today, right? I charge $300 an hour. I do two clients an hour. Like, I'm never booked, never booked. I made more before I took this meeting with that lady that day at like 11 o'clock in the morning, you know? And I was like, so who's right, right? Like, I always leave openings in my book a couple days out because I want new guests to come in. Like, I want, and I want that pricing tier to be able, I want them to be able to pay my highest price. Like, if they want to come in and like pay my highest price, then then I want it to be available for them because it's about them. It's not about me, right? Like, it's not my ego. It's them. I wanna, I'm there to take care of guests. But wouldn't some say that that, 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 that charging 300 is also an ego thing? No, well, it's, it's only an, I didn't make the price. They priced it, right? So, like, if I start at $100 and they're paying it, right, and then I'm, like, I'm two weeks, three weeks booked, who's, who's right, who's wrong? Right. Like they want to pay more to get in because they want to buy their time back. They want to look good more often, you know, and I think that like you got to allow them to do that, you know. And um, so it, it, it's really not like this is thinking about this differently. It's guest hospitality first, guest hospitality. And I can't beat that into the ground enough. Like if I charge one hundred dollars now, I like grandfather those guys in at one hundred dollars and I can jump up my prices whenever I want. I don't have to wait a year, two years, three years. If I'm 90% booked or I'm scared I'm getting too busy, I can jump it up to 125, can jump it up to 150. And you'll do that with your current guest or, or you'll or, I, or the current guests always get grandfathered. You so know. whatever they're paying, that's it. Whatever they're so paying. Somebody's getting it. a $35 haircut, Kelly. 100%. Someone's getting a cheap haircut. Now, once you get up too high, you got to raise up your your base. You know, so there is some like, and then you have to figure out how to tweak that to make that work for you. I mean, it, there's not like a perfect model for it. We've tweaked it for 20 years. Right. You know, so. Uh, Obviously, it's working. I mean, yeah. you have two 52 chair salons. You have four barbershops. It's amazing. And, you know, we're sitting here on a Tuesday in the middle of the afternoon and it's rocking in here. It's rocking. Yeah. I mean, we're in the middle of winter. It's it's like this is slow. We'll do like 100 clients in here today. Like um, on a on a busy day, we'll do 200 plus and. You know, like that's amazing. I actually want to back up a little bit for something that you said, like blew my mind. And that was like, um, I didn't raise my prices. They did. Right. You yeah. Know? I mean, th- you know, they're they're setting their prices. You uh, take your ego out of it. You don't don't ever touch it. They tell you you're too busy. You raise your prices for the new guests. Right. And like it's always a circulating thing. Some of your old ones are going to leave and some of you're going to like always have more space for new ones. Like. You know, this is something that you could really start to think about, like, on a different perspective and and really win, you know, long term. And I think that, like, our problem in our industry, we talk about this all the time, is, like, the price of bread, the price of milk, the price of gas has gone up over the last 40 years. But the price of hairdressing has kind of gone down. 
because we don't we don't set our prices well. And I think it's all from an ego. Per- it's like, hey, man, fifty dollars. Like, no, man, that's too much to charge. And it's like, you don't get to like that's you. You don't get to tell the guests what they want to pay, right? right? Like they tell you what they want to pay. And you got to get out of the way and like listen to it. You know? That's that's so well said. Now I'm gonna have to go home and recalculate. <laughs> 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 right <laughs> my clients are at home like yeah we're gonna get a break <laughs> yeah. i mean it it doesn't work for everybody but you know it's something it's a perspective that people and they always say they like it can't work and then i make it work and it's like okay you know that's right. amazing but yeah. you, I, I love the whole customer service driven yeah you know completely it, you know what it's, and, and that's something that isn't new to the industry right we've been talking about that for 40 years yeah. um do you think? Do you think? Although we've been talking about it, are, are we still failing as an industry? Do you think, or I, not necessarily failing? I think that's a little overstated, but could we do better? I mean, man, that's like such a loaded question. Like, right. I look at the industry and I'm scared. You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, well, when I got into the industry, people weren't necessarily retiring from it. They were working till they were dead behind the chair. Yeah, that's what Daniel Mason Jones said. Yeah. You know, the, and I think for the last 20 years, we've really come out of that and we've learned to make money in this industry. Um, and like, you know, the prices of coloring went way up. Painting like really helped that out. Um, and, you know, there's been some like remarkable things like men are starting to pay more money for their haircuts. That's huge. But they're now leaving the salons again, going back to barbershops. So you're losing that income from the salon perspective. Um, so, yeah. But like, like, like in your case, like you've... You're not losing the money from the barbershop perspective, right? Because you're charging what it's worth or, or, or <laughs> they're setting the price. Yeah, the clients are setting the price. I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's also you get to a point where it's kind of capped, you know, where you're like, okay, like, I don't see a lot more value in going, like, too crazy, you know? And um, so you kind of get to a point where it's, like, comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. So <clears throat> when you, I guess um, you're still on your way to that right so yeah, i mean some people are some people are not you know like well, we have um you know i have one of my barbers is the third highest producing person in my company wow you know and that's remarkable like i have one open chair at um ninth street which is where we started it all and you know for someone to walk in there tomorrow we'll make 75k this year like guaranteed they could be mediocre you know i would never put them on the floor which is why it's sitting there open you know because we don't have anybody we have two people training right now and no one's trained up to the point to take it and you know the local thing we've kind of we're kind of taking all those elevated barbers already that are working inside of the city um so you know we're still scouting but like you know so when you said 75k are you saying that um there's 75k in the chair or the actual uh stylist or barber will walk the barber will walk yeah we'll walk with 75k Yeah. yeah That's that's amazing. Those are amazing numbers to think of as a barber, you know, because, you know, still in my head, you know, I'm still back at like, you know, mom and pop kind of like a like barbershop paying $15. And, you know, there's absolutely like I got a buddy who I grew up playing basketball with that works two doors down here. And um, and he still charges like $20 um, for, you know, for barbered haircut. And, um, and you you know, we talked we've talked a ton. You know, he just doesn't feel our thing, you know, and. And, like, it, it is what it is, right? Because for us, it's like a barber stylist is someone that typically went to cosmetology, can really cut the top, can really work scissors, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, barbers kind of just want to get in there and get that fade done, and, like, it's all about blurred lines. But to us, like, the haircut is, like, about 30% of the process, right? Like, it's really about how you treat the guest, how you run that chair, and, like, how you make them, 
feel at the end of the day and like you know the story you tell doing it that that, that just blows me away you know you're able to just spend that much time focusing on not only the the barbershop but you know we're up here in in immortal beloved and you know just we walked in here you were doing a hands-on cutting class for your for your crew and uh i mean as as a stylist i would definitely would would want a, a, a owner that that cared about me like you care about your guys and you could just you could just totally see it in, in everything you're doing. Yeah, weirdly, I mean, like, <laughs> I love people. I'm not like a people person, <laughs> per se, you know, but I love people. And, you know, training is a lifestyle like anything else. Like, it's important to give back to the... This is my way of giving back to the industry. Like, I put a bunch of people out there. Like, I have people who are training my techniques and the way I look at hairdressing, um to like people in San Diego and like LA and New York and I have some buddies down in like New Orleans like you know like I have people that I've trained through the years who have moved on and now are training other people and to me that's the best way to touch the industry well let's talk about that a little bit um it's come up a couple times on on the podcast like if uh if a stylist leaves your facility I'm sure it's happened once Mm -hmm. or twice you know like like what's your how do you process that um I don't, I mean, you know, it's tough and you know, they're family. So when they leave, it's hard, you know, it's like losing family members. Um, you know, you give all that time, but like you do this for the people who stay, not for the people that leave. That's the easiest way to look at it. Like I don't look outside of my salon. I don't give, I don't care what anybody's doing up the street. It makes no difference. If I take care of my guests and my stylist, like I win period. Right. It's true. You know, if you have a walkout, you're going to rebuild and you're going to do it again and you can right. do it again. Like. You know, like every salon that I've ever worked at, I've just rebuilt. I've built 10 salons from scratch now. Like, it's not that hard. You just got to you just gotta get in and after it. I mean, I'm training every single day. But how know? did you get, I mean, how, for all those who want to open up a salon or a barbershop, I mean, how did you figure it all out? You, you make a lot of mistakes. Like, experience is just like a, like a ton of mistakes. That's all it is. You just well got to you got to get out there and like make mistakes. Like my first salon, I got crushed on the lease. If you get crushed on the lease, it's pretty much the end of your business. Oh, so you didn't listen to the Peter Mahoney uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that didn't exist 20, 20 years ago when I got into it. You know, I started my first salon at 24. So, you know, like and it wasn't just like a rinky dink one. I took one of the like I took a th- 3,000 square foot space out in in one of the highest rent districts in the world (laughs) you know it was like you know and and like I said it was another 13 years before I paid myself more than I made behind the chair so wow how big is this space this one is about I think this one's (laughs) 8,000 yeah I mean I I basically own or lease about 25,000 square feet um, company wide Wow! Wow! Uh, which is about the size of a Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cra- that, that, that's a weird perspective, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it's expensive. Yeah. You know, do you own this building, or do you? I do not own this building. I wish I did. But this is the well, this is probably one of the highest rent districts in the world. You know, yeah, and it's brutal, and they would never sell. I would love to buy. They would never sell. That's amazing. So, uh, I kind of want to get into Kelly's other endeavors as well. So. Um, <laughs> 
uh, furniture making or woodworking, and and don't you have some? Uh, don't you have some stake in restaurants too? Oh man, uh, the restaurant thing. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't set you up, man. <laughs> you looked at me like I set you up. <laughs> yeah, I did that once. It was the greatest sixty-seven days of my life. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's been some failures. <laughs> there's been some failures. No, no, no. There's only been like uh-huh. uh, learned yeah. opportunities. You know, like you, you, you're young and you make mistakes and you move on. Like, I, you know, funny enough, um, I used something from the restaurant field. We did. We had something in the kitchen called the expo, and um, that person just sat in the kitchen and they like organized everybody and they made sure the plates were fired on time and sent out at the same time. That sort of thing. So we brought that position into the salon. You know, when you have a 50-chair salon, you're losing people sometimes, which, which is strange, right? You just lose a, a guest. You don't know where they are. And um, so we have somebody that stands behind a board all day, and all they do is, like, logistics for the salon. So they know this client's in this chair. They're going to be at this shampoo bowl. I'm going to hand this toner when toner's underneath the board made, and their time's on it and everything, and they hand it to that apprentice, that apprentice does the toner and stuff and then they know that that will be done at this time and they'll hit this chair for the cutting department whoa whoa, whoa. how in the hell do you hire someone to do that are they air, we just air traffic it. controllers we literally just trained it you know and um and it was just like to me that's one of the most remarkable like changes in my business just having that expo is just insane and it's the best thing we've ever done i think so they, they, they just control, like, the flow of the floor. They just control the flow of the guest, you know, like, and they're, like, on top of it, they can, they're training constantly the apprentices and, and the shampoos, and, you know, they're on top of That's, like, their world. They, like, run that world. That's amazing. That, that truly is, uh, takes the experience to a whole nother level. Yeah. And, you know, and that sounds, like, fancy and fun, but, like, you know, it took me to lose a rest, like, it took me to lose a million dollars on a restaurant to like learn that lesson and to like create this position and to me like it was worth it it was worth it like i had fun i took a shot at something and and like i lost miserably i had fun with it you know i enjoyed the process it took us four years to do it and um and it was over for 67 days and it was a it was a fun process and i gained some stuff from it i gained some perspective and i know i'll never do food again but maybe a cocktail bar we'll see We'll see. Secret we'll see. secrets. Yeah, a couple years down the line, but we'll see. <laughs> It'll be open for fifty-four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people like to drink a little more than they like to spend five hundred dollars for a single plate. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. So, when did, when did your interest in like woodworking and stuff? Uh, was that with your friend in Nashville? Did you just kind of pick it up from there? I, you know, I'm a I. Being great at anything, like being on the path to mastery, is like a process of learning how to learn. And so every year I learn two new things. I just like, I'm like, you know what, this is, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in this, I'm going to learn these this year. And like every year I, I start off with two new things, and, and woodworking was one of those a long time ago. And then I ended up, I ended up like, this is what people don't understand, it's like you do an apprenticeship somewhere, right? Like I apprenticed with this guy who I met at a wedding in Spain, um, Caleb Woodard. And, and he like, was like, you know, come on out, check out the wood shop when you're back. And I was like, bro, like, I'm, I'm not going to – we just met on a, at a wedding. Like, we're not going <laughs> to hang out when we get back to the States, right? Like, and one day he called me up. I was bored as hell. I was bored. I was like, man, someone called me to go drinking. <laughs> and he called me, and he was like, come on out to the wood shop. And I drove out to the wood shop. 
and I worked there for eight years, about two to three days a week, just um, just apprenticing. Like I never made any money. Like I just I helped him build all his furniture for his clients. I just had a ball doing it, and um, and then it served me it served me like really well because I then turned that into salons and like you cross everything for me was learning something, figuring out a way to cross pollinate it into the brands. So when how did you? I mean, you said eight years. How did you do that? Like and have a salon or work as a hairdresser mm-hmm. or what did that? Work I don't out? know. Like a lot of people have like hobbies and shit, and mm-hmm. I don't have that. Like uh, my my hobbies are like work and you know like i enjoy everything like i'll do these things but like i'm working like if i'm on a golf course and i'm back in the car i'm working you know like mm-hmm. i don't golf but you know like, <laughs> but i, I like the analogy yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know it's just like i i never get to step away like when that's the thing that's cool about like being a stylist that i like really miss is like you know when you're done you're done there's nothing to think about before you come to work there's nothing to think about when you when you leave work like that's dope. <laughs> no doubt. Like, I miss that. <laughs> but anybody out there who wants to purchase Hell's Bottom, <laughs> yeah. he could take the $75,000 yeah. uh, chair yeah. on 9th Street. <laughs> yes, please please call me. I mean, you know, I was a female hairdresser, so, you know, like, I, I've learned, I, I cut men's hair, but I've learned that, and, you know, uh, I'm not nearly as good as these guys, though. They're like, it's a different, it's a different ball game at the top, you know. That's amazing. What um? So what? What two things you're learning in here? 2019. Uh, horseback riding was like a big one for me. Like I, I grew up around horses. I never learned to ride. So horseback riding, which I've already done um, this year, earlier this year, and um, I want to do a little more training in that and archery. Weirdly enough. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's kind of my thing, man. Yeah. Like not that I've done it, but like I, I kind of feel the same. Like I want to learn it and I want to do it. Yeah. I think I listen to too much Rogan though because he does <laughs> talk about like archery. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't listen to him, but um, you know. The, I've got some some plans, training to do that, but I don't know of how I'm going to bring that back to the industry. <laughs> the two kind of work together, though, right? <laughs> yeah. See, so rolling up on your horse with your your yeah, bow and arrow. Yeah, if I can do them both together right. at the end That'd of the year, awesome. you know I've done something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. So, do you go in with the idea that you're going to master these things? I don't go in with the I, you know, like or you just want to learn. You know, I'm a dumb shit. Like, let me just be honest about this. Like, I'm a dumb shit. Like, I, I don't know anything outside of hairdressing. You know, like I know I'm enough, but I'm, I don't, I only have time to master this, you know, like if I'm mastering something else, I'm taking away from time to do this. So I want to learn things, but I'm, I'm very careful to not go too deep down that like rabbit hole. Oh, how do you do that? It's, it's really tough because sometimes I do like, I took up pottery last year and I loved that, you know, and I was like, dude, I could spend some time doing this. And, um, and then I just was like. I don't you have can that do kind of time. Everything. Yeah, I don't have that time to give. You know. So, do you consciously think like I'm going to learn two things? Like, like, do you have like 2020 set out already? Um, I haven't started about. I'll think about that towards the end of the year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I usually start to think about it towards the towards the end of the year. I I really have to like I have got a lot of stuff going on, so I have to compartmentalize like what I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. and uh, and like I said, like I, you know. I really only know one thing well, and that's hairdressing. And, like, I know the industry inside and out. I've lived every part of it. I've charged $17. I was 300 when I retired. And, um, and, and I've, I've booth rented. I've chair rented. I've, I've been mostly commission-based. Mm-hmm. And, and then I've been in salons that did both, and I've been in salons that compartmentalized. You know? So I've run the gamut. I've done runway. I've done you know, platform work. I've done it all. Like, and so... I, you know, I'm always trying to cross-pollinate that stuff and, and do what's best for the business. Do you have anybody who rents 
or like a booth rent? No, I don't actually have anybody in the company that that rents or um, or or chair rents or anything like that. Yeah, it's just not something I ever got into. Um, I don't really, you know, I don't really know that business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that would kind of mess the flow up because then if you're trying to, you know, it's all about guest experience, and if they're kind of in control of their own chair or their own space, it would kind of, you know, I guess mess with the flow yeah bro you hit that nail on the head like you know the problem with that is a lot of times those guys are very like me first and this can't be you first it's got to be guest first and so you gotta you gotta get people on the bus as they say to that believe in that and like live that lifestyle and like you individually like like if i wanted to run a suite i can control that right but if i start running out chairs in my suite to other people i can't control you know, then you're, you're like you're asking for more headaches than the money's worth. You know, remember, like a business doesn't just have to make profit. It's got to be vi- it, you got to make enough profit to make it viable for the owner to want to stay in it. You know, and to me, that's going to take like that takes real that takes real money to like want to like have all those headaches. You know, so that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. How many how many how many? Uh, I guess employees or stylists or barbers do you have? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have about a hundred employees company wide. I can't tell you how many. Um, I don't know. Probably like sixty. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Wow. Um, wow. That's pretty yeah. great. Uh, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy sitting in the back room, like counting the numbers and like you know i'm not scrooge mcduck you know like i'm out there on the floor i'm living in i i i go through a feel and like how the guests feel and how the stylists feel and you know i'm doing it from that perspective like to be honest with you the money doesn't matter to me like it's really about doing something different and like creating that stuff and the money is ammunition i I look at money as like okay well can i do this can i affect more people can i you know, how can I do this on like a bigger scale and, and create more high paying jobs that, you know, people are happy with. Um, but that's all money is to me. And do you have like, um, do you have like 401ks and stuff? Set up yeah, we have team? 401k. We pay 65% of healthcare. We do a lot of benefits like, you know, but the honestly, man, you know, this is a young man's game. Like people don't care about that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they don't care about that. It's like nice to have all that stuff, shiny stuff, but you know they don't care. They don't yeah, think. They, they don't think about it, it later. Yeah, you appreciate that when you get into your forties. <laughs> you know, like uh, up until then, you're know, like you're not you're not thinking about that. You know, the average hairdresser like lasts what you know five years, right. right? Like the numbers are staggering staggering against us, right? Like all the way across the board. Like I think like ten percent of I and mean, these numbers are so old. I learned these like twenty years ago, so they're probably changed. But like the numbers were like ten percent of people like last ten years, like one mm-hmm. percent retire. Right. Like, I'm sure those numbers have probably changed a little bit as the monies went up. But um, but the numbers were not good. But like small business, like, like you talk about like like 60 percent of all small business fails in five years. You know, 80 percent of what doesn't fail in five years fails in the next 10 wow. or in the next five years after that in the first 10 years. Right. Like the, the cards are stacked against you. And I think a lot of that is is just like culture and and like staying the course and like not changing just because somebody else is changing mm-hmm. um just starting to stay the state of the task that's that's just mind-blowing it really is right you know and do do you have a uh, like a plan to open up any more barbershops or any more immortal beloveds <sighs> do you 
no more salons. I, I don't think my bandwidth can take so. So, for example, like we have, I think we have like 30-ish stylists at this in Immortal in DC. We have a support stem, support support staff member for every stylist. So there's like another 30 people making their lives easy and comfortable, right? Like that's just a lot of man management. So what, you know, now that I have two of these, it's kind <laughs> of like okay, that's my bandwidth. That's what I'm, the barbershops are a different thing. Um, I could probably do one or two more of those before I think I'm at my, at, my, your peak. at my peak. And um, it just the thing is, like, I'm getting older. I have a kid, and I just, you know, don't know how many more I want, you know. So I don't want to dilute this thing either. Like, if you start diluting it, then you, you're not, like, it's hard to stay at the top. Is all your barbershops in D.C., or do you have any in Richmond? We have one in Richmond, three here. Yeah. And, we, you know, we're to, like, Amazon asked us to be a part of that project, so we'll take a look at that when they're Ooh. ready. And, um, and we'll the see. one in Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think they're like five years out, probably. So we'll take a look at that when they're when they're done. I think. That are they be looking for? Us. Are they looking for a barbershop? Barber shop. Yeah, they yeah. want the salon. Everyone wants the salon. <laughs> but like, I don't have any more interest in salons. You know, those days are done. So is that how you negotiate it? They're like, we want the salon. You're like, would you consider a barbershop? No, they 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 want. They'll take either. They always push. You know, the um, the agents were female, so that makes more sense to them. Um, right. So, you know, I, I see more value in the men out there than I do the women. So, um, but I, I got them to see my side very, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, uh, I guess they're bringing 25, 30,000 heads to that, to that building, to the new headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, um, you know, they'll be fine. I don't know what they're going to bring in, but they're good. It's a big, pro- it's a massive project. So we'll see. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know where, what's next. I don't like to have plans. I don't like to have five. I don't, I think they're really unhealthy for me. Cause if I put something like, like a carrot, I'm going to like do whatever I can do to get to that carrot. So I don't like to like just put random carrots. Like I like to, to grow organically. Um, someone a long time ago, I heard somebody call it forced growth. Like, you know, when you're busting at the seams, that's when you do the next one, you know, don't force it. That kind of so, seems to be his philosophy, even like with his price increase and stuff. Yeah, as well, you know. Like. Well, I mean, I, my philosophy is just to stay simple, man. Simple is everything. When you try to do like all these crazy things, it gets like out of control, and then there's no way to roll things back. And just simple. And then I believe in this thing called kaizen, which is like small, continuous tweaks, and um, and just like simple, small, continuous tweaks. Just try to make everything a little bit better, a little bit nicer. So does that does that does that philosophy work with like just get started and then kind of figure it out as you kind of go or, or you know, um, what? what yeah. If you were just to get started, like not let's say you're not opening another salon. Let's yeah. say you know let's let's say you're 24 years old. You've been out of hair school for a couple of years. You want to open a salon. Is your philosophy to let's let's just start it and then we'll kind of tweak it? And no, figure it out the way no, like, no, oh, what's no. Your oh my gosh, no. Um, that's what every like every time I go into school, like all these kids are like. Oh man, like I'm gonna open a salon. I'm like, dude, go, like, go manage a salon for someone first. Do it for free. That's your apprenticeship. You never have to like, like I I managed a salon and trained all his people for free for years before I started my first one. You know, and that was my apprenticeship. Like that's how you learn, right? If you if you go and you're just like you're like man i'm going to i'm going to open a salon because i hate this owner like or <laughs> i like or i want to work for myself man and it's like what that's my goal i want to work for myself right like then you end up owning a, a a job you don't own a business right and and i think that like 
in our industry, you really should take time to do it for someone else and make the mistakes with their money, you know? Mm. And, um, and that's your apprenticeship. That's that path to mastery we always come back to. Like, get on that apprenticeship part of, like, the management ownership side and then break out on your own when you're ready, when you've got that, like, kind of honed. Well said. I mean, yeah, kidding, man. yeah, I mean, so many little light bulbs going off. You no, know, I mean, what's the point of opening if you're just going to fail in the first five years? Right. Right. Like, if you can't ego. make more money. Yeah, ego. it's always it always comes back to ego. You if you can't make more money than than you made behind the chair. What was the point? What right. was the point? And if the business can't survive without you there, what's the point? You right. just have a bunch of jobs that are like are not stable. You know? Wow. I don't even know what to say after that because that's well. I mean, I mean let's. I, I'm going to go down the ego thing. So, like, I mean, we've all got it, right? We've all got the ego. So, like, how do me how more do, than others? <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Do, but when you see it, how do you how do you identify it one, and then how do you kind of put it in check? Man, it's a, it's like anything. Like you're on the path to mastery. You got to master yourself. You know, you got to like you got to go. Okay, is this is this like did I think through this, or is my ego telling me what to do here? And sometimes you have to make the wrong decision to come backwards, right? Like, I don't know. It's like when you're young, you can't help but make the wrong decision, right? Like, That's true. Right? And it's then the when you get older, you, know. you made a lot of enough wrong decisions to go, what, is this my ego? Is this me being like, man, the world is wrong. I'm going to prove them wrong, right? Like, right. you know, what, what is it? Who's talking? You know, is it your ego or is it you? You know, and I, I mean, I don't. I don't consider myself a master of myself. Like that's a day in day out job. Like I'm, I'm a normal human being like everybody else. I make mistakes. Like, you know, we're all fallible. We're all going to, we're all going to make bad decisions. And it's how you pivot out of those bad decisions. Do you make it right or what? You know, like, and my thing is like, you can't live and die by policy. You got to be able to tweak and change and pivot. Yeah. I know, right? I know. All these truth bombs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when I first owned salons and 15 years ago, salons are different. They're different. When I first opened salons, they were a different beast. They're a different animal today. You know, you've got to change. Which ways? Which ways? Well, I mean, one, like, think about, like, just from a perspective of color, right? Like, we used to, it used to all be foil, and before that it was counts. And, <laughs> you know, we've gone through all these things, and now it's painting, and all of a sudden it's like, shit, everybody wants to be a colorist. But up until that moment, everybody wanted to be a cutter. So you had two cutters for every colorist. Now it's almost like a one-to-one ratio again in salons. Um, and, like, D.C., you know, is a different beast because I'm, like, one of the only salons that compartmentalize. So, and I was, the fir- like, basically the first of the game. There was a guy here that was was doing it on like a kind of mid-scale perspective when I started and um, and you know but I didn't really have a lot to look at there you just have to go and make mistakes and like learn them but like you're you got to miss small you can't just go in and like make a huge mistake you got to like miss small like a bad lease educated yeah you know you make a bad lease that's the end of business in five years you know one like you can't come back from that you can't come back from a bad lease because a lot of times your money for your build out is wrapped up in that space right like you've made a bad lease and you're stuck in like a deal that you can't get out of or you're stuck in a deal that made you no money like you you basically made the landlord rich you know like how did you figure that out i mean you made it i made bad bad decisions right but i mean but i mean how did you figure out what not to do or what i mean um so like i said like my first lease was bad then i learned leases you know and i wish i would have 
learned it before, but I was like a young ego maniac hairdresser and I was just like going at the speed of light, you know? So you just figured out what, like in, in the least, this is what's killing me? Oh yeah. When I was like spending $17,000 a month in, in rent on a space when I was 24, like I was like, dang, all my money just went out the door, <laughs> <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, luckily I did a little bit of money behind the chair and so I was able to like move on from that. Um, but my second one I did right, you know, it's like something I always say is like, do it right the second time, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, there, cause a lot of times there's no way to know what you don't know until you get in there and do it. Yeah. That's right. When we did the podcast with Peter, like, you know, it's, it's, you're so vulnerable because it's the first time you've ever done it and, and, and you're so excited about it. It's like buying your first car, you know, you're excited yeah. about this. And, and, and like you said, like almost everybody in hair school at some point is like, I want to do it. You know, I want to, yeah. I want to open my own salon. So, you know, it is the most vulnerable time and yeah. you're, you're about to make the, uh, the most expensive, uh, uh, uh commitment that, that you've ever made. Yeah. You know, over- and a lot of times, I mean, landlords are not going to let, like, look, you're a hairdresser in a hair salon, right? You have like no business plan likely. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a business plan, it's probably a joke, right? Like, even when you do good business plans, they're never correct. Like, you know, like, you're like, you don't even get close to the numbers a lot of times. And so, like, you're taking these to a landlord and they're like, come on, what do you have to show me? Right? Mm-hmm. So, you almost have to get screwed on your first lease to get your foot in the door. Wow. Like, it is just part of the process. So, you, you know, you have to make sure that you have an out, like, that you can get out of that and, and move on. How long did it take you to get out of that first lease? Um, or are you still in it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's a funny story, but we'll probably we don't have time to get into it. But I had a partner, and, and um, I learned things and, and forced her to buy me out. Um, and then I got out of that. And then I basically, I took a loan. I didn't have a lot of money at the time because, like I said, the lease was draining me. And, and, um, and I was young, too, so I was, you know spending a lot of money eating and drinking and um, <laughs> and like I took a loan from I was playing a lot of poker at the time so I took a loan from a guy that like we'll, we'll just say you pay back quickly right. <laughs> 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 but like door. a lot of people don't have that you know that was my networking really you know and and that was the game for me if I didn't have that networking I would have never I would have never had the second salon and um because no bank was going to lend me the money I needed for the second one and I needed it like I went in talked to the dude and he was like come hang out to me come come hang out tomorrow for lunch I walk in and he had a blank check it's like basically just tell me what you want I was like all right this is what I want he's like now you know I don't have to say anything about this like you're gonna pay this back and I was like yes sir (laughs) (laughs) yes sir I'm gonna pay it back and I paid that dude back in nine months whoa and it was a big nut it was a big nut. It was a big nut. You know, I put that salon together very, very fast. And, and I, like, you know, it put a different fire under me the second time. You know, I started to, like, I was, you know, I had already built my first salon up. I learned a lot of things. And the second one, like, I did it right. And that was the beginning of Immortal Beloved. Wow. Let's talk about that. Where'd you come up with the names? Because I think the names of both your salon and your barbershop are just rad. Oh, man, names are the worst thing ever. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> Bro, it. Bro, naming something is the worst. Um it's worse than naming kids, man. Uh, I basically, I was trying to name something. I tried to name everything something sexy or mysterious without like it having anything to do with hair or me. And I think that's important. So um, those names were immortal was from a, from a love letter from Beethoven um, where he called someone like some mysterious lover, his immortal beloved. And I was just like, that's the sexiest thing ever. There's nothing that can compete with that. 
and the letters are sexy and I was just like, that's the name. I kept coming back to it, and I was like, that's the name. And everybody was like, dude, what are you opening, bro? Like, it's like this is like a goth church, or like, it's just, you know, is this a funeral parlor? <laughs> like, what's going on? And um, and I was like, just wait. And then when we opened, everybody was like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Because the thing is, like, names don't matter. Everybody thinks the name matters. The name doesn't matter. Once you open, people will start to, like, relate Listen, that with this. The most popular word in the world is Google. Yeah, <laughs> which means yeah. nothing. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I mean they just don't matter. And like every book I read was like you got to name something like about what you did or whatever. And I was like everybody does that. How does that win? Right? right. Like simple game theory tells us that like if we do the opposite of what everybody else's strategy is, then we win. Right. So like I, that to me that was a no brainer. And then Hell's Bottom. Hell's Bottom was um was just the name of the neighborhood uh, post civil war. So post-Civil War, every, na- every neighborhood in Washington, D.C. had, like, pretty aggressive names like New York still mm-hmm. does, you know, and, um, except for we got rid of ours. Like, uh, they kind of they kind of one day were like, let's just name everything after generals or something, and that's what they did. <laughs> and, and the new names are like, eh, but the old names are cool, man. They were dope. They were, like, Murder Bay and Blood Fields and, like, cool, like, really like a you know oh, basically dc was like a was like an encampment after the war like they what, what populated dc was all the people that were left behind like when the war dispersed and the soldiers went home like the, the camp followers were basically what populated dc afterwards and that's why like everything was pretty rough that's crazy <laughs> i was i did a, a, a walking tour in a um, federal triangle which is like one of the most Expensive again, like you said, real estates in the in the country. Yeah. But during the Civil War, there were twenty eight brothels. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> in Federal Triangle, yeah. you know. So and it was the most dangerous spot in the entire yeah. uh, area to be. In, when I was a teenager city. here, there were still brothels everywhere. They're they're gone now, I think. You know, I think. But like, there were brothels everywhere. There were like. Why did you do think in quote marks? Oh uh, well, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I never. I never really knew. I mean, I've never been to a brothel. You know, um, that's not that's not me. But you know. So you, you brought up a lot of books. What I mean, what are some of your favorite books, or what are some of the <sighs> books that you would recommend for people? And do you really read, or do you do it like us, like aud- audibles? No, I mean, I, I, I do both. I, you know, I read a lot, but um, I, you know, I don't suggest it. Like even for myself, I read so many books, but um, but like once a year, I usually take a few months off just to distill the information because you can get like really confused fast. You know, like books are great, like but. I don't know. I think sometimes they, they just start simple. Just be simple. Do what's authentic to you. Like, I'm not a big fan of, like, I, I, I have a thirst for knowledge. But, like, I don't think any of those books have helped me, you know, because a lot of them don't have anything to do with, with songs. And, you know, like, I, I'm, I don't think I've ever read something where I was like, oh, my God, that's going to that, change my life. That's the answer right, right there. You know? Yeah. I'm read, uh, well, I'm listening to a book right now. Uh, I listen to it in the car. Uh extreme ownership and i brought this up once before it's just jocko willink yeah yeah you know, I, I like about that because it, it's it's all about you know it if, if it's if you're the if you're leading and if it if, if it's failing instead of blaming everybody look at look at yourself right it's it's and that's yeah i mean i looked at that book as more of a self-help book you know he's he's Dude, if you don't get motivated reading his books, man, come on, you're not you're not human. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that like, guy has a podcast too, right? I think he does now. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Joe he had Joe had him on, and 
and he was like, man, I can do this. So, <laughs> right. Well, Joe's always like, do it, do it, do yeah. it. He's like, everybody should have a podcast. Yeah. Which, by the way, is why we're sitting here today. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> thanks, th- thanks, Joe. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it's important. I mean, sharing this knowledge with people and, like, getting getting to these, like, nitty-gritty situations is, like, so important to the to industry. You know, we, you, you guys and I have talked about that several times in the past. And, um, you know, I think it's important. Hundred percent. So, what, what what kind of advice would you give to so what? To which part? <laughs> which part? <laughs> um, to, yeah. I think if you you're talking about ownership, if you're talking about ownership in particular, I think like um, unless it you have this feeling that that you have to do it, like you don't have any other choice, don't do it. Right? Like I just don't. I if you're not doing it for the right reasons, don't do it. If it's not there to like to be about the, the stylist and the guests, don't do it. If it's about you, you're going to lose. But as an owner, your guest is this, the stylist? Is that kind of what you're my, saying? I mean, in my opinion, like, the most important person for me is, is the stylist. The most important person for the stylist is the guest. You know, I have to do both, but, like, I, I do keep it in perspective that my job is the, the stylist first. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I was, you know, if, if you're doing it for you because you, you just want to own something, then... Uh, yeah, you'll probably get stuck in that. But if you're doing it, like like you said, if you're doing it for the guest, if you're doing it for the stylist, then you're building something. Yeah. You know. And you have to know, man. You have to know, like, that you're in it for 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 that. You know, you have to know, like, you want to elevate it to that degree. And just think about their perspective. Like, when they walk in the salon, think about everything that could possibly go wrong. Like, there's only so many things that can go right or wrong in the business. Just think through it right like you don't need to read a book for that just go over and say hey like you know if my like when you're for example this is small like someone walks in the door like who's more important the person on the phone or the guest that just walked in right like and you see people stand at the desk forever while someone's sitting on the phone like come on man who's more important the person that's chilling at their like desk in their office <laughs> or the person who's standing right in front of you that's a guest in the business you know, take care of them. And, and that's just a, like a tiny, tiny thing. But like, you know, if you're not, if you haven't fixed something like that, come on. What, like so start there. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, like, what are your systems? Are, do you own any of your systems or are they, they're always being tweaked? And is systems the, cl- the, the key for you? to? Uh, <sighs> um, keeping it simple. Like, I've created a bunch of systems and stuff in place. And like, but, you know, they rarely like stand the test of time. You know, like things change and, mm-hmm. you know, you get larger, like things that happen, things you did when you were 12 chairs are not going to be the same things you're going to do when you're 50. Right. Like someone yesterday was like, why don't we, you know, why don't we give spring water like this other salon? I was like, dude, come on. Like they have four chairs. We have we have like 50. Think about the logistics of having a bottle of water on hand for the 2000 clients we see a week. Right. Like. You can't. You where do you, can't where do you do store that? that? Like, and think about the impact that has on the environment, right? Like, right. Like, I don't want. I don't want that on my hands. You know, like they. We're not a cafe. Like they have. We have nice coffee. We we buy like really nice coffee. Like some some of the places we have like cold brew. We have like Nutella or the Nespresso machines. Um, you know, we have like nice teas. But at the end of the day, like people are buying haircuts you know like don't ever lose perspective of that right like that is where you spend your effort and then the other stuff is like 
it's nice, like little fun, pretty things that you play with, you know. Mr. Kelly, do you have anything that uh, that you want to promote or talk about, or, or what are you up to? Oh man, um, no, not really. I don't, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, this industry isn't about me; it's about everybody else. And um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good people out there, and you know, I'm just a, another cog in the wheel. And I just want I want everybody to to realize that, like, you know, everybody we're all in this we're all in this thing together but you know and that competition is necessary but um but at the end of the day like like even me man i'm just i'm just a salon owner i know nothing i know nothing you know i know nothing outside of the salon and um and like i think people need to keep that in perspective like right now we're seeing like this um this kind of like glorification of of the mid-scale on instagram and in in the world and like and I think people need to, like, remember that, like, it's, things swing back. You know, like, you start to see the change in the swings back and forth. And just people need to keep in perspective that this industry is about the guest and the human. And, like, it's not always about you and celebrity. And, you know, like, we're three guys rocking sweatshirts and, like, jeans <laughs> and, and, like, flat rim caps and, you know, big beards and that sort of thing. And, like, you know, Gal, you always talk about that Mount Rushmore of, like, hairdressers mm-hmm. and stuff. And I'm like... That's a true listener right there. Yep. You know, and, and you're talking about, like, dude, come on, man. David Mallet's now open in New York from Paris, right? Like, come on. Like, where's, like, the love for that guy? Like, where's the rub- love for, like, Nick Arojo's done it right for, like, 20 years now? Where's the love for these people? You know, like, and the industry needs to, like, wake up, man. Like, no one invented craft hairdressing. Craft hairdressing has been here for ages. I was cutting bangs off, like, 30 years ago. I wasn't even doing hair yet. Like, we were doing that, like, at the beginning. Like, we all get into this industry, and, we, and like, we think that, like, no one's ever done that before. But they have, you know. Yeah. I guess people just rebirth old. Kind of just rebirth it in, in a different edgy way but it's it's been around it's you know what i mean people and it really at the end of the day doesn't matter like the only thing i care about is like i don't care if my section is perfect like does the guest love their haircut or not that's all that matters period like if you're not thinking about you know here oh my gosh yeah now i'm (laughs) now i'm going down a rabbit hole oh boy let's go um (laughs) but like i mean think about it from this perspective most of our industry is letting somebody from the 60s cut their haircuts for them. Like, Explain. Vidal Sassoon made repeatable haircuts a thing in the 60s. Now, that was in, or in whatever time period right. he did it. Like, and that was like important right, for the industry. But that was just like a small cog in the thing, right? Like, it allowed us to like, train and talk technique. But it, for, we forgot the eye. We forgot the eye. You can't do... It's not binary. You can't just be, like, super clean in section. And you can't just be eye. You got to do both. And, like, you got to be on that path to mastery and, and be able to, like, do all of that. And I think people just forgot about that. And, like, right now we've really glorified that section pattern and that, that thing. And we forgot about, like, the hairdressers that are doing it. But which is funny because that's all editorial work is. And that's what we all look up to and aspire to do. But, like, that isn't section patterns. That's people who have trained their eye for for decades. I kind of, I mean, this is a weird conversation, but I, I kind of, when you said that, I, I kind of think of Philip, because I think Philip's kind of mastered both ends. Yeah. You know, like, Philip's got this amazing eye for haircuts, but he's also got this incredible eye for finishing as well. Yeah. You know. So. And I, it's all of that. It's like, fit, you know, and then, like, from there, um, 
you know, I think that's huge. There's only, I mean, how many hairdressers are out there doing that, right? Like, because so, so few make it to 10 years in the industry, right? How many hairdressers are thinking about it from that perspective? Like, I know this table, it's got some years of experience, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, like... We got 100 at this table, man. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think it's important to keep it in perspective. Like, you need that. Like, that's a part of the process. Like, that's a part of the path to mastery. But that ain't the end game. Being, like, really clean at section pattern ain't going to win you any money in this industry like you really have to like get to the other side of that and like start to to visualize and that one of the things that i think that's really tough about instagram is that um you know upscale hairdressing is a feeling and instagram you can't feel someone's haircut it's flat it's two-dimensional right like you can't feel how good that was cut and like what the feeling of that haircut was only the guest knows that and like we've lost that right because the thing about Instagram is like it's it's bobs and curled, right? When you get off of that and you start doing like really funky haircuts, they don't always or like really good haircuts, they don't really look great on Instagram, right? That's why everybody irons everything out. So it's like I, I'm like excited for a return because I feel like Instagram's slowing down. I'm I'm excited for like a return to hairdressing. You know, the other day like I was in a school and they were like. Uh, how do we build our book? How do we build our book? Like, how do we do it on Instagram? And I was like, dude, if you don't have skill, you don't have anything. Like, skill, 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 right? Like, Instagram isn't going to get, they might, it might get you a client in the door, but is it going to, like, allow you to keep them, right? Like, I mean, I worked for, what, 17 years before Instagram was even a thing? Like, how did we get our clients back then? We did it by being really freaking good at our job. I was right. going to cuss right there, but I didn't hold back. <laughs> um, Why hold back now? You've already dropped a couple. Oh, man. You know, get me talking. <laughs> <laughs> I like, uh, I'll do that every now and then. But um, I think it's important to understand that, like, you know, without skill, we have nothing. And, and the, I like to see the industry, like, start to, like, care more about the skill and the hairdresser behind the chair. Yeah. And, you know, like. I don't know. I might sound like I'm constantly saying this, but uh, yeah, it's it's all about wanting and growing and learning, and uh, you know, and people like you that that are willing to to give and give back to the industry, and you know, and give in a way that's going to help. You know, I'm not saying the younger generation, but you know, the next generation just kind of just hone in their craft or skill right yeah i think if you you know you're touching on like a really deep point there with me like if you look at it from like our perspective right like on a, on a daily basis like what are we really doing we're cutting some hair right like i'm cutting 10 10 to 15 guests a day right i'm at, i'm impacting 10 to 15 people but if you start to like look at a global perspective of this like we we're like beautifying the world over like its existence Right. Like as one as one person, we're nothing. But when you look about when you back up and look at us as an industry, it's huge. Right. And so my thing is, do you want to do you want to look back and and be happy and like that you left the legacy that where people care and they're like they're well trained. Like that's what training is for me. It's not it's not a popularity thing. Like I do it because I like people and I want them to do well. And I want them to be big parts of, like, the industry going forward because that's what, you know, the industry was really good to me as it's been to you guys. And, like, that, that's a big yeah. part of it is just passing that knowledge on through the apprenticeship mentor model. Boom. 
Yeah, truly appreciate it, brother. Yeah, man. Kelly, man, that, this was awesome. There's just so much truth, and and, and there's I like so much. Yeah, there's so much information still inside his head that we haven't even pulled <laughs> out. So. I know. <laughs> we have to sit down some more, man. Right. <laughs> Stay tuned for Kelly Part Two. Right. <laughs> right. Anytime, let's film that now. <laughs> <laughs> or what did you tape record, that? Yeah, record. Oh, yeah, record. People say they watch the podcast all I'm the time. I'm old. So. You know, it's tape. Everything's <laughs> tape. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm so old to tape track. It's not even kind of recorded. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I think one, let's just say, like, we need every part of this industry. Like, we're all in this together. This is all one industry, but it's segmented. But we're all one industry. We need it all. Like, there can't be any of this, like, nah, man, they're not doing it right. Nah, man, they're not cutting right. Like, we need it all. You know, you need bad hairdressers just as much as you need good hairdressers. Amazing. Mr. Kelly Corset. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs> <laughs>